are live on Facebook, Weishi Radio page. So I am Nicola Chan from Weishi Coaching. This is the radio page where we do interviews. And today's special guest is Lauren. Hi. So I've met Lauren since I moved to Liverpool um, through a gym that we both work at where Lauren does powerlifting and I do weightlifting. And we just seem to connect immediately because we have both history and experience of eating disorders. And that is also the type of people that we want to work with, that we're passionate about. So I really wanted to get Lauren on here because there's more that I would like to know about you as well. We've only chatted so much and I thought we may as well do it on a live and share this information with other people. So firstly, I'm going to expose Lauren because she's looking all lovely and glamorous this Friday evening. <laughs> she's at a barbecue at a friend's house and totally forgot that she was on this live. So <laughs> I hope they're all watching. Yeah, then we're downstairs. <laughs> I was like trying to find somewhere to go. Like we're happy back until I'm back in a bit. I'll be able to do an interview. <laughs> so let me just go straight into it and just ask you: Can you take yourself back? So, what would a Friday evening look like for you when you were suffering with an eating disorder? Friday evening would be. I definitely have started a weekend binge. Definitely by Friday. Um, weekends were the worst. Because it was always for me. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start Monday. So if I'd had a bad Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that would carry on Friday. So then I'd try again on the Saturday sometimes. But if that went wrong, it was like you can eat whatever you want between now and Sunday at midnight, like literally at midnight. And then um, so yeah, Friday night would be binge night usually. Is that the kind of like eat clean mentality throughout the week and then um wasn't even eat clean to be honest it was I was trying to restrict so much so I would binge eat on Sunday nights definitely Sunday night was always and it still is a struggle for me sometimes because I've still got even though like you know 20 years later I'm still thinking Monday is a new start where I can just eat what I want on a Sunday night right um, but then, so on a mon Monday morning would come, I wouldn't have breakfast, I'd sometimes skip school, go to the gym, so I'd be in the gym all Monday morning trying to work on Sunday night, uh, probably wouldn't eat lunch on Sunday, uh, Monday, then I'd get to the evening, I'll have been to the gym for how many hours, I wouldn't have eaten, and obviously I would be hungry, <laughs> and if I made it through to Tuesday, that was good, if I made it through to Wednesday, that was even better, and obviously a body can't live with no food, a lot of exercise, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, without binging, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So yeah, that was that was life for a long time. So it kind of started like that, because diets are generally quite effective in the beginning, aren't they? And they give yeah. you all the results that you're looking for, and you get all that validation as you start losing the weight. So how long was it for you that you were in a dieting phase that was actually working for you before it started to become like, obsessive and when you started binge eating? Um, I don't know because I don't I don't actually remember ever being in a I remember going on a diet maybe when I was about sort of 14 I think I bought a Slim and World magazine and I followed that and it had like a plan for running and a plan to eat and I just followed that for like a month and I lost the weight um, and then I don't remember really having a problem then until I was about maybe 15, 16 and that's when I decided that even though I look back now and I'm like, I was absolutely fine. Like, I think I was absolutely fine. Um, I thought, oh, if I lost the weight, then it, I don't know what even I thought was gonna happen. <laughs> I just thought it would be better if I lost the weight. So that's when I started. 
of messages, like the cultural messages that losing weight would be a best thing for you? Yeah, I think also what happened was I read a book, I don't know whether I should say the name of the book, it was a children's book that was, um, it was a Jacqueline Wilson book called Girls Under Pressure, have you read it? No. No, and it was, it's supposed to be like, um, to dissuade you from eating disorders, but obviously in my head, I was like, ooh, she lost a lot of weight very quickly, that seems like something that I, I maybe I could give that a go, and that's when I started like restricting a lot and my body does not like restrict <laughs> not many people's do <laughs> I can totally relate to that actually because I haven't really thought of it like that but I remember f- thinking that actually that eating disorders were quite attractive to have and if I was to choose any eating disorder it would be anorexia because they ended up thin and so yeah. it was always a case in my head that it's better to be a little bit too thin than a bit too fat because yeah. at least if something goes wrong I've got a few pounds to play with yeah I think I think I've said this to you before, I think between sort of like 1997 and maybe 2012-ish, if you look at TV shows from anywhere in those years, women, and like you look back now, so I give the example of like, you know, so Ali McBeal and like Sex and the City and um, The O.C. was one of the more modern ones. If you actually look at those girls now, they are so thin, but at the time, that was what they, everybody was. That was size zero. Was what that was what the obsession was. That was what you had to be to be famous, to be slim, to be pretty. You had to be a size zero. Whereas it shows that things have come a little bit further because they look thin to me now. And I don't. I mean, they've come further for me and I think society a little bit because I don't think actresses are that thin now. They are a little bit bigger. It's still not variety of bodies but they're not all the same size zero that they were in around sort of like early 2000s. I think the thing I find troubling about it all is it doesn't matter what the body the fact is that the focus is on their body not the work that they do in the world so it's have they lost weight have they gained weight what are they doing they had a baby how quickly did they get their body back and it's just always a front cover picture of someone's weight loss or weight gain story. And it's always pretty much women as well. Like it's rare that it's like a load of men on the front cover with that. Um, yeah, because we used to have in school, certainly in sixth form, was like all the magazines used to come out on a Tuesday. So you had Reveal, Heat, Closer, and you see a uh, look through the Ring of Shame. It's and, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Ring of Shame, like just these things are horrific when you think about them now. Like the Ring of Shame that they used to do for the celebrities then who lost weight why their lives were falling apart um and if you remember like nicole ritchie was on the front cover of like everything and the only thing she'd really done was lose it was have an eating disorder really because she she lost a ridiculous amount of weight and it, she was she was like suddenly center stage so i had pictures cut out of nicole ritchie of misha barton um you know really the exact same yeah I had, I think it was Closer Magazine, where I'm taking pictures of Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. My body, my genetics is not Jennifer Aniston, and I had put her body on the wall and my face on the top, thinking that would be my motivation. Yeah. If I don't eat, I'll look like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, so I, I had pictures of, yeah, Bishop Barton, and Nicole Ritchie, and actually, I had a picture of Nikki Graham, which, uh, yeah, which, obviously, I'm like, you know, that news was a bit like, oh my God, because... Yeah, I had her picture up as a thin 
inspiration picture. So it's it's weird how the media made you think that. But the Nikki Graham thing, did that kind of hit you, like, hit home that that could have been you? Yeah, and, like, in a weird way as well, because obviously that was, like, she was, like, my idol. And obviously she was a great person. She was a lot of fun. But that wasn't why the media liked her either, was it really? It was because she... She did a lot of work for eating disorders, but I think again in that those that era of Side Zero, it was glamorised a little bit, and that was why she was in covers. She was talking about it, and it was sensationalised a little bit. I think I don't think it was done particularly well. Whereas again, I think there's a lot more media guidance about how you like talk about and write about eating disorders and things like that now. Even the fact that they're not really mentioned as a mental health issue, because mental health stuff is not glamorised, people try yeah. not to talk about it, still it's got a lot of stigma, whereas eating disorders, like you said, because they make you thin, or people assume that, you know, because people think that an eating disorder looks one way, and that it fits one body, that maybe you want to have that body, and you have the eating disorder alongside it. Yeah. So let's and just go back to the beginning then, if you don't mind, to what, what it was that you think looking back now that it was that caused you to develop an eating disorder in the first place? I, th- I mean, I definitely looked at myself when I was like, sort of, I remember buying stuff when I was like 13, that was before I went on the first diet and thinking, oh my God, I look fat. Like, I look like in my diaries, because I kept like little diaries when I was like from 11, right the way through to sort of like 19. And I look in my diaries from then, and I'm like saying, like, oh my god, I'm disgusting, I'm ugly, I'm fat, and it's heartbreaking, really. It's like this little twelve-year-old's like, like, who am I comparing myself to? What, what am I fat against? What am I ugly, ugly, in what way? Um, and then I think I lost the weight, and then put a little bit back on, or I don't even think I, I don't even know. It's probably just puppy fat that just, as they say, that just like went away. Um, and then I decided. I think because I was quite shy in school, um, that I would be more liked, more popular if I was thinner, because that's just the sort of narrative that you are sold, isn't it? Yeah. Do you remember when you very first became aware of your body? You know, when we're children, we just run around naked even, and we don't care what yeah. we look like, we don't think anyone's judging us, we're just happy yeah. in our own skin. Do you remember yeah. that first moment that you were aware you had a body? I remember that trying on that top that was in um it was it was called dodos it was a shop and i remember bringing that back because i remember thinking that's an amazing top i want that top and, I, and when you're younger you don't even think what the clothes look like on you do you you're just like that's a nice item of clothing i'll wear that and something about that top when i saw it either in the mirror or in a photo i can't even remember it i just remember the top and i remember thinking that doesn't look how it should look on me that doesn't look as nice but it's on me um, and I think that's the first moment, really. That's that item of clothing in my head is a pinpoint for me of like. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing now. Then, if there was another young girl having that experience, if we, if only we had models like even the dummies in the window of different sizes wearing different clothes, and you could actually see how it would look on you. Yeah. You yeah. Don't have to have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, I think, yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say. That, I mean, that some of that is changing again because there are more models. As in, like it's a plus size store. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a normal size, this is the size we should all be in, and there's a plus yeah. size. Yes. Yeah. The average woman, size 12 and above. Yeah, true, yeah. And actually, we should have normal sizes varied, isn't it? Because that yeah. is normal people. 
And like, um, I mean, size 12, I mean, I think my boyfriend, she gave me something the other day, like, you know, size 12 and M&S is a size 14 in New Look, and it's a size 16 in Topshop, and it's a size 8 in something, do you know what I mean? They're, the sizes are nothing, they're all different compared to different shops, so nothing's, nothing's the same anyway. Did you have anything in your head to do with sizes of clothes? Um, no, I remember having like, um, I was just like, it was just all about weight. And I remember picking out clothes that I would wear when I was thin. I would never got there, but I was like, oh, I'll, I'll have this, I'll wear this. When I'm thin, I'll be confident enough to wear this. And I mean, yeah, 20, 20 years later, and I still don't think I'd, I've ever, well, I've, the last couple of years, I'm definitely more confident and I'm not as bothered by it, but certainly up until like five years ago, I was still waiting <laughs> to be wearing those clothes. You know, I've, I've gone out through my whole of my 20s not, not wearing those clothes, so it was never going to happen. <laughs> what was that turning point where you actually started buying clothes that fit your body? Um, it was probably in the last couple of years because I think, I mean, food for me has been a size thing, but it's also been like to cope with some like mental health issues as well. And I think in the last two years, I've been put on like the right medication. So I got diagnosed with bipolar type two, um, just just under two years ago. And since then, it's just been like, oh, so it wasn't just me, do you know what I mean? I wasn't completely uh, like binging and using it, like my moods have gone down, food would go up and down. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was like, well, this this is me now, and um, I don't know. It was like it was a relief for me because it was like, even though I shouldn't have had to have that to accept who I am, I was like, well, that's not an excuse, but like a it's an explanation as to why those things have happened. And I think over the past yeah couple of years, I've just been like, well, this this is who I am, and this is yeah. the size I am. Yeah. I mean, it absolutely does help because all the research that I learned and realised that my body was actually starving with the amount of exercise I was doing and the, the reduction of calories that I had, that it was a physiological response to the starving, that I would then go and binge and that anyone put under those conditions would have the same response and that really helped me to see that I didn't need to have shame and guilt over it because I just thought it was me, I thought I've got a problem with food and I remember spending so many nights just like googling how do I stop binge eating? Like, what's wrong with me? All of this stuff. Found all these forums and crazy stuff. Like, I went on a mad one, but I literally felt like this is my only problem. This is massive. I can't tell anyone about it. I'm in the fitness industry. People cannot know about this because I'm preaching food and exercise to everyone. They come to me for advice, and I'm such a fraud because I can't even get it right myself. I think that's definitely a common thought, and I think I think a lot of people in the fitness industry probably do feel like that because. Like, I think me and you are pretty open and honest about it and a, a bit more, this is not possible, this lifestyle, but I think there's definitely a, a lot of fitness trainers out there that try and sell a lifestyle that they can't be living. And we know it's not possible. It's but, when you're in it though, isn't it? Oh, definitely. It's so easy to say, I had an eating disorder yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got one now and I'm suffering now. That is yeah. vulnerability right there. Definitely. Everything you're exposed, aren't you? Everyone can judge you, they can dislike you, and you know. Yeah, like you said, I think the word fraud, yeah, you just don't, you just imagine everyone turning around and being like, yeah, she's a complete fraud. Yeah. Whereas, with business, it's your brand. Yeah. You know, because then you don't just change overnight either. So as you change and and go through the process, 
to slowly change your business as well and the people that you work with. It takes yeah. time, doesn't it? And it, it's, yeah. it's hard to try to explain to the people who've been with you from before that things are, are changing. Yeah. So I think for me, even with that experience, the best thing was to actually be really honest. And I remember I did a speech at um, the XL in London when I was living in London, and I was so scared about this speech, and I asked the people in my class to practice with me. So they sat down after an exercise class on the little box steps on the floor with legs crossed, and I did the speech to them, and I just cried. And I just, I just felt like these are the people who've seen me. They've seen my body standing at the front of the class, bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller, and going through this journey, and now they can actually know verbally what's happened because even as a teacher you're not really speaking your true self you're showing people an image you're wearing that hat and you're following choreography and they don't really know you but like little did I know they'd seen me go through all those things and they were so compassionate with me like some of them cried as well yeah that's it I think everybody actually you don't give people enough credit because a lot of people are going through similar a lot of people are you know have their own issues and they're usually pretty grateful for the honesty. So like the worst fears that you have about people is only going to be like one or two. I mean, it's easy to say because those one or two would certainly ruin your day if they said something, but it is a small minority of people that like would be affected in a negative way by you being honest. Yeah. So how did you go from where you were to where you are now, um, including in how you became honest with your clients? Um, I think, like you said, it doesn't happen overnight, just gradually, like, <laughs> drip feeding little bits of honesty of, like, this has been an issue in the past, but not being, like, direct, like, you know, little hints just to test the water kind of thing, like, oh, am I going to get a backlash? And then gradually, like, bringing everything else out, and I was like, no, this, this is me now. And actually doing that, like, the past maybe three months or so, I've been really open and really honest and it's helped me so much just in my own confidence just like in the words of like you know the me, just do it kind of thing and I have just done it and it has it's like when you repeat something enough times you start believing it and I think if I've repeated I'm body confident I'm body confident and um yeah then it's like it just just comes true eventually <laughs> but that's the thing you have to um people ask like how how do you become confident you don't just get confident do you, you almost have to fake it first because you've got to put yourself yeah. in those situations that you want to have confidence for but you only get the confidence once you've done the situation yeah like being um, like, yeah no, I, <laughs> I, I went to see eddie hall speak a few years ago and everyone says he's arrogant and stuff obviously and he said you have to fake arrogance in order to make confidence and it's like that is true like you, you have to fake your confidence, and to, you know, to make yourself look arrogant a bit in order to gain real confidence. Yeah, you've got to fake it a bit first. But once you're there, like you were saying about not being your true self, don't you find it's so freeing actually just being honest and being who you are and being a messy human who gets stuff wrong and sometimes goes through issues that you've been through years ago and now you're helping people with. Yeah, definitely. Isn't it just trying to? to not do that to put on this mask and just show people what a business and, yeah even like with my body you know taking photographs of my body over the past like couple of months in the past i would have i would have scrutinized it so much i would have been like oh i'll i'll put a bit of a pinch in there i'll put a bit of photoshop in there it's like i want it to be real but i don't want it to be that real whereas now i'm like no if i then i really would be a hypocrite if i was like 
you know, photoshopping and taking bits of my hips off and things like that. It's like, no, this is, I want this to be my real body. So it's, yeah. That's been part of your journey to um, body acceptance, taking pictures of yourself, like yeah. with less clothes on or showing people your whole body on social media. Definitely, definitely. Like, I would never, ever, I mean, if you go back to my social media, like, yeah, a few years ago, I would never, ever have done I've been covered up from head to toe, <laughs> filters, everything. So yeah, that has definitely been a massive change. And how that's much? How much does social media help you in in doing that and getting over your eating disorder, seeing other people do similar things? Massively, but only now that I've changed who I follow, changed what I look like. Because there was the time when the only people I'd follow would be bodybuilders, would be celebrities and I was just constantly inundated with this and like oh my gosh they're at the gym I'm not at the gym but they're absolutely like this I don't look like this um whereas now it's much more my feed is much more body positive and it, it is one of those things that if you surround yourself with that that becomes your reality much more than comparing yourself to yeah, bodybuilders or even just the way that we, we fell into this in the first place because we didn't realise we were surrounded by it but we were yeah. but bombarded with images like into our subconscious mind you just walk down the street and you see a billboard and you yeah. don't really realise that it's going in but it is this is the image of what you should look like and that's how the clothes look on that person that kind of a thing so their messages are always there so I, I do find social media to be really negative but then there are obviously the positive sides of it like that that you can then pick and choose what you look at and expose yourself to body positive people and people that can help you on your journey in terms of just looking at body diversity. Yeah. Just to talk about that for a moment, the picture that I put up for us to do this live was a picture of you in, in your knickers. Yeah. <laughs> a picture of me in my knickers. <laughs> and then, I mean, I, I was actually performing in a show when I took that picture. I was doing a burlesque performance and that was part of my journey actually to, to kind of expose myself, be vulnerable and be in the nakedest form that I can without tanning, without editing myself, without changing myself in any way and just standing on stage in front of people. Yeah. That's, I'm not saying everyone has to do that, but it's something that I wanted to do because it was almost like the opposite of what I'd done originally when I thought I'd arrive at my perfect body, which was me standing on stage doing bodybuilding in hardly any, like tiny little bikinis, that that's and obviously then I wasn't actually me, I was I was tanned up, like a couple of layers of tan, I'd done all that dieting for 12 weeks, um, yeah. loads of makeup, massive hair, I, I just completely did not look like myself. So I really wanted to share that image, but also to say that I think it's amazing what you've done with, with sharing your body, but that's something that I don't do, and the thing is with, with the work that we do, we are both in the fitness industry, yeah. and there are times that I've wanted to leave, and I've decided I must stay because fitness is amazing, health is amazing, it's such a gift to give to people, but I want to give it in a way that's real, really healthy without actually helping people to diet and get into disordered eating and everything, so I decided to stay, but I don't now put pictures of my body over everywhere because I now live in a thin body, so <clears throat> I am very aware that society doesn't stigmatise my body, I have thin privilege, like I can buy clothes in, in all shops, I can get on the train, I can get a seat wherever I, I need to get a seat and it's not been an issue for me and I have to just make this point that along my journey to help me get over my eating disorder, a lot of that has come from fat acceptance and um, fat positive people 
who have a completely different experience, who can't get a seat somewhere, who can't buy clothes in various shops and are really stigmatised for the way that they look. And so I just think it's, that's why I don't want to put my body out there for people to say, oh, you're a body positive person, but you're in a thin body. Yeah, yeah. It's you know a, what yeah. I mean? It's, it's a funny one to, to do, but I do really want to still stay here and have this voice and in a way some people might stigmatize that and, and think they'll listen to me because I'm in a thin body so in that way I'm an ally and I can talk this talk if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely yeah um I think for me I mean at the moment I'm sort of like a dress size sort of 14 to 16 which again is not exactly giant like huge or anything like that by um any standards but it's not certainly not the fitness industry norm which would probably be yes eight to ten ish and I think again when you look at personal trainers and stuff like that and you look and you think well I know you you want a personal trainer that knows how to be fit and train but the thing is I'm strong and I I know exactly how to make people strong if they want to get stronger <laughs> and this this at the moment you know it's that's what it is and that's what it does and I am a personal trainer I'm not I'm not lying about that I'm not faking it that's just the body that I'm in and I am a personal trainer um so yes it's it's one of those things I think I I, when I took that photograph that you used in my underwear it, it was like one of the first ones I've done um and it was it was, I think there's a difference between posing in your underwear provocatively and posing in your underwear in a way that's like, this is my body. Like, I follow a lot of, you know, Megan Crab, body, Posy um, Panda, and she's always in her underwear, but she looks amazing and she inspires so many girls and so many women into loving their bodies and being body positive. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, I wouldn't stand in my body and be like, okay, this isn't a beauty industry norm or a fitness industry norm, but it's mine and, and I, I'm a strong person and I can sell it. <laughs> yeah, and I think as a leader, if that's what you want to do, you should do that because that's yeah. who you're going to attract to work with you. They're yeah. going to see you and think, oh, I want to be like her. Yeah, I, I want so. to locate <laughs> myself and see that I am beautiful as I am. Yeah. So talk to me about your um, body positive boxes that you now make. So that came after I did um, an eating disorder uh, qualification because I wanted to, I, obviously I knew a lot about eating disorders from my own background and also I've specialised in it in my undergraduate and my postgraduate degree. Um, but I wanted to do something a little bit more specific. So I did a eating disorder course over lockdown and I was like, I want to do something that's more associated with that and for specifically body positivity um and just things that I would have liked when I was like recovering from my eating disorder just things like positive affirmations like on jewelry on bracelets on t-shirts so I've put them all together in a box and called it the body confidence box so if you have like one of your clients that got one was saying you know that day when you feel a bit low you get a box full of things that tell you self-care and then um, told me about them I was like why didn't I think of this before <laughs> actually it's so nice to you know like even if you're unwell and someone gives you like a box of things to make you feel better like yeah. maybe food grapes <laughs> or um, some flowers or something just to cheer you up yeah 
But you're, you're unwell when you've got an eating disorder and people don't often look at it like that. But you could have come out of an eating disorder clinic or you could be going through some therapy or personal development. And just to have something like that, it's so yeah. nice to have a gift. And then also all the little things that you put in there which are really creative and thoughtful. And obviously you, you're passionate about it. It's come from your own journey as well that have helped you. Yeah. So I think that really comes across with people who've got them. Yeah, no, I've, I've never, I love making them as well, you know, like the bracelets and I love um, like picking the affirmations for them and just like sending them out to people. I, I just love it and just getting the feedback from them, not necessarily just to hear the feedback, just to see whether they like them and uh, what they say about them. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's been really good. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I just ordered some um, little bottles actually and um, tiny bottles that I'm going to put lavender in to take to my workshops in the schools try and create a nice like comfortable space and help people to just kind of get relaxed and go into their body whilst we talk about body confidence so it's like a personal journey that they go through yeah and the affirmations cards that i've made for them as well yeah that's a good idea is it going to be like a lot of people in one room or small groups or um i was worried about that because i thought what if they put me in the middle of an assembly or something and there's boys and girls <laughs> and all ages and yes definitely don't want to talk about body confidence <laughs> strong opinion teenagers uh, but actually, it's, it's like a group of 15 girls who are on a specific okay. program, so they are people who would benefit from this, so it's perfect. Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds really good. That's the sort of thing that I wish was at school, like, I because, I mean, I don't know what your PE was like at school, but my PE was terrible. Oh, I, I hated sport, hated, yeah, hated sport, hated exercise, and it, it, I think it actively puts you off. Um, so it took me, I mean, I play golf, so that was the reason why I ended up going down the sport route but certainly not because of pH <laughs> um, it was like outside of that I wanted to do more golf um, and through that I got more into the gym more into fitness and then is that how you became a powerlifter? yeah so with powerlifting um, I worked in a gym um, and I one of the PTs there um, she's a very good weightlifter Amy Salt she's one of my friends and I went along with her to a weightlifting. I'm like that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I went along with her to a weightlifting like session, like a group. Um, because she'd gone from CrossFit to weightlifting because she found that she was really good at the weightlifting part of CrossFit. So then she ditched CrossFit to focus on weightlifting. So I went along with her, and I found weightlifting. I enjoyed it. But I found it was like golf in that it was so complicated and so technical and you could practice and practice and practice and put on like a kilogram or something like that. Whereas, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I was like, I already play one frustrating sport where you can practice and practice and practice and not get any better. But I was strong. So I was like, I really like powerlifting because I was good at deadlifting from the beginning. Um, I was like, I just like picking it up. It's just a lot easier. <laughs> and then uh, I don't have to do anything with it. I just pick it up, put it down. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, and then, like I said, I was, I was quite, I had quite a strong depth from the start. So I was like, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad at this. And I picked some numbers I wanted to hit before I did my first competition, and just went along to my first competition, which was like a novice competition in the northwest. And yeah, after that, I just. Yeah, I fell in love with it, and again, that's another um, reason why body confidence came into it because I was like, I just want to, I just want to lift more. So I've got to eat. I've got to. There's no, there's nothing. Yeah. What was that like for you? That transition? Because presumably, when you were in the gym, you were doing what we all did in the gym, which yeah. is just burning loads of calories. And before you even knew about weight, it was just all about the treadmill and cardio. 
yeah. and go from that. And I've actually taught classes where people are there just jumping up and down, and I go off to the side to change the music, and they just can't stop jumping because they're here to jump for an hour, yeah. burning all those calories. To go from that to then lift once, wait three yeah. minutes, whatever, and then lift once again. Yeah. How was that for your mindset? I think the, I mean, my body shape definitely changed after I started weightlifting. Obviously, it, it does affect your shape, not in a masculine way, as the everyone seems to think. That all my clients come to me as like, I don't want to look like a man. I was like, you will not look like a man. <laughs> um, but it, it, like you know, it it does like draw your waist in and um, it does change your shape. And I was like, I did gain weight, but. I didn't mind because I was lifting more and more and you cannot turn up to a session because I, I again at the beginning I've definitely done it a couple of times like having not eaten all day and I was like right I've got to got to weight lift got to burn these calories and it was like hang on I can't lift anything <laughs> um and it's a completely different mindset to I have to then switch from thinking I've got to burn calories to thinking I've got to fuel this so I need those calories because I need to fuel my workouts properly and I can't just yeah it helped you overcome your eating disorder definitely definitely yeah it's one of the best things I've ever done um, and going home and, and eating food and knowing that it's okay to eat how does it how does that feel I mean yeah I definitely ate more after I started powerlifting and for enjoyment and just thinking it, it doesn't matter I can have not what I want but you know I can I can eat it's just eating it's just it's fine it helps me if, like the community helped you as well because that's how everybody does it exactly. some people who haven't had eating disorders and haven't done the crazy fitness thing they're just there and they're like yeah well, let's eat <laughs> let's grow muscles let's get strong yeah the only thing then that was a bit triggering obviously is the weight categories um and i was constantly trying to get into smaller weight categories because obviously get higher points and the IPF they have changed their weight categories a bit now, but it, it was a, it was quite. I was slap bang in the middle of two, and it, I still had that little sort of little voice that's like, well, you don't want to be in the bigger one, go go into the smaller one. Um, so I haven't competed for well two years, just over two years now, and I think even the back end of last year, I was thinking I'll compete again when I've lost the weight. But yeah, over the last couple of months, for the first time, I've been thinking, well, I don't need to lose weight, I just need to be stronger. <laughs> yeah, so it's, and it, it is a complete change. I, I can relate, actually. So even though I'd been way out of my eating disorder and eating normally, like intuitively, for, for quite some time, when I got into weightlifting, it was that category thing. I'm like, getting into it, and I had no intentions of even competing. I just wanted to try and just have some fun. And then everyone was talking about competing all the time, and I thought, oh, well... I just give it a go, but it's only ever going to be fun. But my, my natural brain isn't fun. It's like, focus, I need to be serious about this. <laughs> yeah. And someone actually said to me as well, they were like, if, it, if it's not fun, why are you doing it? And that's why I kind of put down the competing all this time and I've not done it since. But there was that thing, exactly the same as you're saying, I fitted in between two weight categories. And I was like, well, I should really get down to that one because also I'm quite a beginner at it. I'm not lifting that heavy yet. I want to be able to do quite well at it. Um, and actually, like you've said there as well, about if you go home and eat, you're probably going to get stronger anyway. And if I move into the next category, I'll be stronger for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, it, and it, it can be quite triggering, I think. And also, there's a, if you are of that mindset, if, if you are a bit vulnerable in terms of like, you know, eating disorder talk, before competitions, there's always talk about, you know, water cuts and um, cutting weight. Um, 
and I've done it. I've done it myself. I've done a, a ridiculous motorcycle. I've gone. Yeah, I mean, I've lost a lot of weight very, very quickly because to, to get to the British to, to make weight, and it's not healthy. And that's and that was when I was like, mm, this isn't this isn't right. This isn't healthy anymore. This is me being mad. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I think, and that's why I haven't done it for a while. But I will go back to it. But once I've got that mindset that actually I'm gonna weigh in, I think the other thing is they don't let you compete if you're heavier, which I can see why, but again, it puts a lot of stress on you. If you again, if you're, if you're like borderline on the in-between two weight classes, it gets very stressful those last few weeks in terms of, oh, I'm going I'm to make weight, are they going to let me compete? Um, so yeah, that, again, it puts a lot of emphasis on what you're eating for the last few weeks of training, but obviously you should, you should be enjoying it, really. You should be thinking, oh, I've got a comp, I can eat more, <laughs> not restricted. So why are you doing it if it's not fun? Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, got I, I would like to ask you if there was any fears that you had in letting go of the control. Obviously, when you have an eating disorder, it's very strict, it's very rigid and controlled, and you're thinking about every calorie and every pound on the scales or kilograms or whatever. Um, to then go to what you were doing with being more relaxed and, and eating to fuel your workouts, did you have fears, and what were they? massively yeah because in the back of my head I'm still thinking well I could just stop eating now and I'd be thinner but then I've got this other voice that's like yeah but you wouldn't be able to lift anything and then it'd be like but I'd be thin and it's like a constant like angel devil on your shoulder like just in the back of your head going well you can eat this you can't eat this you can change it yeah which is like you said it's just control it's just the eating disorder voice going you're not gonna have any control over this anymore um but I never had control over it in the first place. <laughs> Excuse me. I found that one of the hardest things to let go of actually was control. Yeah. I didn't realise how much of my eating disorder was about being a control freak and a perfectionist. Yeah. And that, that was just the standard that I was holding for my body. So I, I thought that, in fact, I wasn't even consciously aware of this. One of my clients mentioned to me recently, she's an amazing lady, does loads of work with uh, empowering women and stuff. And she's even done TED Talks. She said to me, even when she was a child, someone said to her, um, if you have such high standards for yourself, it's because some part of you thinks you're better than other people. Yeah. So having that thought now, it's like, who do I think I am? I'm no better than anybody else. But you just, you don't want to be below anybody else because you're unworthy or you don't love yourself. So it's actually about that. And this letting go of control, it feels like you're falling. Like no one's going to catch you, you're just going to fall and die. Yeah. Or if I gain weight, I'm never going to stop gaining weight and I'm going to be obese and I'm going to die. Yeah. Everything's yeah. death at the end. It's like <laughs> all or nothing. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I mean, for me, a lot of my eating was to do with like moods as well. And part of me was like, I cannot go on without having my food as my fallback. You know, it was a constant fallback when things went wrong or, or even things went right. It was something again it's about that control but it was something that i could i had to get me through the day or the week or whatever like um, a ton of chocolate or something do you know what i mean whereas as now i, I know it's like like you said, you're not going to die if you don't have that piece of chocolate you know you, you'll get through the day it's okay and yeah. the difference then with your mindset you know when you restrict yourself and you think chocolate is a bad food and you feel yeah. shame and guilt if you eat it 
then you try to eat every other food before having the chocolate. Yeah. But you've eaten so much food anyway, and then when you get the chocolate, you end up binging on it. You had way more than you would have had if you just allowed yourself that chocolate in the beginning. Yeah. Just saying, you're saying to yourself that you're. Do you want this now or do you want it tomorrow? Because you can have it both days. Like you know, it's up to you. You can have half now. You can have half tomorrow. You can have it all now. You can have it all tomorrow. And it's like just saying it's still going to be there tomorrow. It's not, it's not going anywhere. But again, like you said, when you spent so many years in that mindset where your body thinks or your mind thinks it is going somewhere because you're going to take it away for the next however many days, weeks, yeah. then your body's so like, oh, I want it. Yeah. Then we're stripped. So you know that there's a diet pending. It's about to happen. Yeah. So if I eat this, I won't ever get it again. So I must finish it all now. And also clear the house a bit because I know I'm going to have no control. <laughs> let's get let's get all out of the house everything. and buy it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> finish it all right now. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, isn't it? When we just talk and laugh about this now, yeah, and these, like real issues that we've had at the time. Yeah, and I just wonder if there's anyone out there who's like suffering with this right now who could actually just be honest about it and, and maybe even laugh about it because I feel like making it not that it's fun, but actually being able to share it with someone who's going through the same thing might yeah. just lighten the load. I think that's it. I think it's realising, I mean, like you said, we're, we're laughing about it, but that's because our brains now have changed, so we know it's a bit ridiculous, whereas when you're in it, you know it's ridiculous, but you can't trust your brain that it is ridiculous. I always think sometimes it's having someone else say, that is an issue, It's not. that's not normal, so it, it is ridiculous, do you know what I mean? It's, it's not, you shouldn't have to live your life like that. losing you now are you still there hello are you still there oh hello um, yeah. I, was, I was losing you then <laughs> i was just gonna ask you just a couple more questions then and then we'll, we'll go you can get back to your party <laughs> i was just gonna say so on that topic then so we've, we've gone back to to some experience that we had of um the diet mentality of our diet tomorrow, I'll eat it all now, and the way that we were with food. Is there anything that pops up for you now, like unannounced, and you feel a certain way, and you're like, this isn't me anymore, why am I feeling like this? Almost like a trigger, or just something just creeps up without you knowing. Yeah, um, certainly if I know I'm going out for like a three-course meal or a massive meal, I, I still worry during the day, I'm like, oh, that's a massive meal, should I have, should I have eat a smaller lunch should I not eat breakfast do you know that that is still a big trigger for me I'm thinking will I be able to stop myself from eating a three course meal and then come back and have everything else in the cupboards um whereas I know now if I have breakfast and I have lunch then I'll have a bit you know my meal and then I won't eat everything else in the cupboards (laughs) but if I've literally not had breakfast not had lunch and then eat my three course meal then it's that's how that's how the binge starts because I've restricted and then yeah yeah for me it's interesting I've I've done a few jobs on the road so on the road I mean like we're we're traveling in a vehicle van or car up and down the UK and there's no food available especially during Covid certain times you're working in the night time and there's nothing around other than petrol garage food so you can imagine there's nothing healthy there's nothing that I would choose because Although I'm happy to eat anything, I generally prefer healthy food for my main dinner at least. Yeah. Um, and in a petrol garage, I might get something that's like packed and it's lasting for three days because it's not fresh. 
and I just feel terrible. And anybody eating like that every day is going to feel terrible anyway. You're not, you're not getting any vitamins or minerals. Um, and I just noticed the mindset of just having a bit of fear, like anxiety. What does this mean? Is it going to change my body? And yeah. I'm like, I have to tell myself, actually, it's okay. It's just because there must still be an element of control that I'm, a, I'm choosing my food every day when I'm at home. And here I can't choose. So yeah. I need to just be okay with not choosing, eating something that's nourishing me because nourishing me in terms of calories, I need to eat right now. And if this is all that's available, it's okay to have that. I'm not going to eat like this every day for the rest of my life. Yeah. Not to say that that's wrong for anyone who does choose that, because everyone has the choice yeah. of what they want to do, and that's the most amazing thing about this. Because um, some yeah. people might look at my food now and go, well, I wouldn't eat like that, or drink alcohol, whatever. Yeah. But it's just that it must be that element of, I've got no control over this right yeah. now. So control thing. You know, we have control. media I think you have to be aware of your triggers and I think if you 
aren't aware of the triggers, it's going to be very difficult. So I think you need to be aware, you know, write down, take the time, think about what, what it is that is causing you to feel, yeah, not good enough, basically, and why you need to diet, why you need to be, uh, why you feel you need to be smaller, or why you feel you need that control. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the fear? Yeah, what's the fear? Yeah. <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And why, anyway? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's in NLP where we call it the, the seven layers deep, like a, a cake with all the layers. Yeah. And ask why seven times, and you why why is your initial why journal it out as many things as you think, but why that, and then why that, and then why that, and that's when you get to your your big why. The one where the tears come out. That's when you know yeah. you've got. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, know your why. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's what they do in CBT as well, isn't it? You just got to constantly get down to your core beliefs, because sometimes you've got a core belief that's that's a negative core belief, like I am not good enough, or just something like that. That's a core belief that's that you're basing everything else around, but you don't even realise because you're doing it so subconsciously. Yeah, absolutely. And then those core beliefs, once you find it, it could just be a case of reframing it, because it could be an old you that had that belief, yeah. and now it's just a habit that you've kept telling yourself. And actually, you don't feel that way anymore. And you can logically say, that's not even true anymore. Yeah. You know, like something that you believed as a child, but it doesn't relate to you being an adult. So you could just let that one go. Yeah. Like every day you get to decide how you want to be that day. Yeah. Let go of yesterday. Yeah. Like I think one of mine is like, we, we were, you know, we had bad time. And um, even now I panic when I'm like out later than than what I perceive to be my bedtime. <laughs> and I'm like, I've got to bedtime. Um, even if sometimes I'm not even tired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like, you you're 32 years old, you're allowed to go to bed when you want. <laughs> yeah, but stuff like that, that's just ingrained into your head, like going to bed. <laughs> I need yeah. to get you to come out with me. <laughs> yeah. I still yeah. need a tour around Liverpool. So. Oh yeah, when, when, the, when the bars open up, definitely. <laughs> All right, so I think we're going to...